That's enough out of you. A weekly podcast where you'll hear the truth, or at least a closer version of the truth, than most of the bullshit that's out there. Here are your hosts, Bill Rader and Sean Kane. Hello and welcome to That's Enough Out of You. I'm your host, Bill Rader. I'm Sean Kane. And we are a weekly podcast where we talk about all kinds of stuff. We talk about sports. We talk about history. We talk about sports history. We talk... Historical figures, Billy. We talk historical figures. We talk... uh, Music, movie... The Mafia, real crime, true crime. All kinds of stuff. It's it's a fun show. We do we, we try to have some fun from time to time. We're gonna have a fun show today. We talk about whatever we want, Billy, because it's our show, buddy. Yes, it is. It is indeed. And uh, so far, our show has been getting some pretty good feedback. Uh, we actually got a we got another email. Uh, Sean, I could read this to you. This is from. All right, buddy. Let's have it. Yeah, this is from uh, cousin Vinny. And Cousin Vinny uh, says, great show here, uh, or great show. Uh, He says, hey, Sean, Cousin Vinny here. Uh, May want to check out the movie Parkland, made in 2013 and produced by Tom Hanks, based on a book about events at the hospital by Vincent Bugliosi. Thank you. Sorry about that. He's the guy that prosecuted Uh, Manson, Billy. Okay. Uh, powerful stuff. Keep up the good work, Vince. All right. Well, first of all, thanks, uh, cousin Benny there for the question. Uh, we appreciate any question and I, I, I love the feedback. I, I actually have seen the movie Parkland and, um, I have actually painfully read the book by Vincent Bugliosi, which is actually like 1300 pages, Bill, if you could believe that. Um, but yeah, but, uh, I don't want to sound like I'm attacking Vinny here because this is a great question and we appreciate any feedback. And we always, you always got to be open to what other people are saying, uh, what other people write about. You always got to leave yourself open built to learning new stuff. Like there's always declassified documents coming out. Right. But the, the truth is that both that movie and that book by Bugliosi have been absolutely destroyed by the, the, the declassified documents. I mean, Let's start with the movie first, though. So Parkland was about the assassination, and it was produced by Tom Hanks. And now here's the problem, Bill. We get two guys from Archibald, like me and you, trying to go up against Tom Hanks, you know? And it's like, it's hard to go up against that star power. And listen, Tom Hanks is a fantastic actor, not taking anything away from him. But any time that Tom Hanks is producing a show on history or doing an interview talking about history, I, I get a not my stomach bill because he distorts history more than any person I've ever seen in Hollywood. I mean, he actually, in one interview, Bill, he, he gave a quote that he said, the United States government has lost its credibility. So I'm going to give them some of my credibility. Now that statement to me means that, you know, why has the United States government lost its credibility? Well, the lied in the lied about the assassinations of the sixties, lied about Watergate, lied about Vietnam, Weapons of mass destruction. You know what I mean? It's like they, they lied so much they lost their credibility. So that that comment tells me that, okay, so Hanks is going to tell their lies now, and it's going to be more believable because it's coming from a Hollywood star. You know what I'm saying, Billy? 
Uh, <laughs> okay. That's, that's the way I take it. I mean, you, you got a different take on it? I, well, I, no, I don't have a different take on it. It just seems kind of egotistical to me. I mean, I can't, uh, you know, I, I mean, Tom Hanks is a great actor. He is somebody who um, has has been in many, many amazing films. He's won Academy Awards. He's had some of the best roles of anybody probably in the history of Hollywood. But to say that he's going to be the voice of truth, uh, you know, for, for the United States government. Uh, okay. Yeah. It's a little bit uh, out there, you know, Yeah. especially, yeah. you know, a government that's lost his credibility with, with what I just mentioned, you know? Right. But, but anyway, let's, let's get to the film bill because uh, first of all, it was a box office bomb. So I, I think me and Vinny might've been the only two people that watched it. It did not do good. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it just I never, honestly, I never even heard of it, Sean. I never heard. Yeah, heard of this I, movie. you know, I try to watch as much as I can, you know, even, you know, if it's, it's got the, and it had the total slant bill towards the Warren Commission. You know what I mean? It was all pro Warren Commission. And of course, Hanks is on record saying that, you know, he believes the Warren Commission. And then when he was asked, well, how much of it did you read? He said, well, I didn't read any of it. And that's an interesting statement. I mean, how could you be so, you know, uh, uh, how could you approve of something that you never even read? But I guess that's the only way to approve of the Warren Commission, because if you actually read it, you, you realize it's a fairy tale. Yeah. You know, but, but yeah, the, the movie bill, I mean, you know, there were some scenes, I guess, that was, was you know, pretty well, uh, you know, just uh, very intense, like in the, the actual hospital at uh, Parkland Hospital where they were still trying to save the president's life and stuff. But the, the thing is, Bill, they didn't show the back of the head blowing out. They made this, that the shot came from the back. You know, there was no front shot. And just all stuff that we now know is not true because I mentioned before, there's like 40-some witnesses that were all, um, you know, medical personnel that said the back of the head was blowing out. And you mentioned you could see that in the Zabruder film. Of course. Everybody could see that. But if you really want to you know, talk about Hanks, like the person I mentioned before, an author, Jim Diogenio did some great work. And he actually, Bill, he wrote a, he wrote a book that originally was called Reclaiming Parkland. Okay. And it was Oliver Stone who actually uh, asked him to change the name on it. So he changed the name to uh, JFK, uh, the evidence today, because Oliver told Jim, he says, Jim, why would you name a book after a movie that nobody's seen? It doesn't make any sense. So, you know, he changed the name. But but Jim does a great job in that book. There's, there's actually a whole chapter on Tom Hanks. And he really, you know, goes after Hanks, how he distorts movies. Because Parkland isn't the only one. He was also involved with The Post. I don't know if you've seen that movie, Bill, that was on the Pentagon no. Papers. No, I didn't. Well, the thing about that, I won't go into too much detail on that, but uh, the Pentagon Papers bill was was basically the hero of the Pentagon Papers should have been Daniel Ellsberg. He was the, you know, the NSA analyst that released uh, or that gave out the information actually to the New York Times. He didn't even give it to the New York Post or to the Washington Post originally. So Hanks changed the whole thing. He calls it the Post. It was New York Times that he gave it to. But Daniel Ellsberg is the guy who you know, the, the Watergate plumbers were bugging his psychiatrist's office. To, I mean, he was under 
constant pressure. You know, Nixon was really after him because he didn't want this released. And he's the hero of that story, but he's in the movie for literally like 10 minutes, Bill. You know, and, and Hanks makes Catherine Graham at the Washington Post the hero. And, and the thing is, Catherine Graham supported the Vietnam War the entire time under Lyndon Johnson. In fact, Lyndon Johnson has a quote that he said that Catherine Graham was worth more to him than two battalion units in Vietnam because he would send her articles from his people, Bill, that she would pretty much print verbatim of what uh, Johnson wanted and put her name to it and saying how the war is going so good. So she supported the Vietnam War all through Johnson's presidency. And the yeah. only reason she turned is because of Richard Nixon. So to make her the hero of the story, Bill, is just, again, it's just Hanks changing the narrative, changing his view. And again, you know, like, like he said, uh, I'm going to give the U.S. government credibility. You know, I'm going to give him my credibility. Yeah, Sean, we'll have to do an episode on on at least one episode on the Vietnam War. There's so much. Oh, we do, and you know what? Though information. we are, there is so much information on Vietnam. We definitely got to do, it. and we got to do an uh, episode on Watergate, Bill. Yeah, a lot of so much stuff on Watergate, and it ties in, you know, under such such uh, just tremendous. Uh, we could go down so many roads with Watergate, but you know, and just to finish, uh, you know, Vinny's question, uh, Vince Pugliosi. You know, he wrote this book on the Kennedy assassination that the movie Parkland was based on. And like I said, it was 1,200 pages, and it's all filler, Bill. Like, it's all general information. He wrote the book. He never left his house. Like, how can you write? He wrote it from his office. He wrote the whole book from his office. How do you write a book about the Kennedy assassination? You never go to Dealey Plaza. You never go to New Orleans. You know, you never interviewed the people, you know, that that were interviewed in the, in right. the War Commission or whatever. You just, it's, and the thing is, just to give you an example, he says, you know, one of the things he says in the book is how, you know, you, all you have to do is read the, the Warren Commission volume on Jack Ruby, and then you, you realize that there was no conspiracy. Well, I'm sorry, Vince Bugliosi, I did read that chap, that volume. And the thing is, Bill, I forget the number, the volume for the Warren Commission, but it's supposed to be, it's all on Jack Ruby. And it's like 700 and some pages, and half of it, Bill, if you could believe this, is on Jack Ruby's family dental records. And Jim Garrison found this, and he says, listen, he said, even if Ruby was accused of biting Oswald to death, his family <laughs> dental, dental, record, dental records are not relevant to the investigation, right? Why would, okay, so why were they in there? To fill up, Bill, they're filler, just to make it look like, hey, we have this 26 volumes and look how thick they are. Like each volume is like, you know, close to a thousand pages, some are over a thousand. So how could we be telling something that isn't true with all this information? What's well, the same thing with Bugliosi's book? It's 12, 1300 pages. But the thing yeah. is like half of the book is just like general information that has no relevance to the case. It's just filler. But who the heck is going to read, uh, you know, that many, that many pages? Nobody wants to read a book that long. Like right. Alan Dulles said, Americans don't read. But Bugliosi Bill was, uh, there's a, there's a, a book by Tom O'Neill called Chaos, which is based on CIA's Operation Chaos, which was to attack left-wing groups in the United States. And it ties in the CIA to Charles Manson. It's a tremendous book. And we should actually do an episode of that sometime down the line. Uh, but but O'Neill absolutely destroyed Bugliosi. You know, he he... He came, it came out that Bugliosi was a wife beater. 
he planted evidence, he intimidated witnesses, he should have been disbarred. And actually, one of the worst stories that O'Neill found on Bugliosi was that you heard it, uh, the old expression, like, the kid looks like the milkman. Well, in, th in those days, they did have the milkman and went door to door. And Bugliosi was so obsessed that the milkman was having an affair with his wife and that the, the milkman's kid was actually uh, a product of the affair that he harassed his family, Bill. And he was, he was following the kids at school. I mean, what he put this family to was unbelievable. And O'Neill brings that out. So that tells you everything you want to know about Vince Bugliosi, you know, and, and I'm familiar with him because going back to the OJ Simpson trial, I used to watch at night how Rado Rivera had a show and me and my dad used to watch that. And Bugliosi was on there. Mm -hmm. And I remember him, how he was so outraged about the domestic violence that OJ was accused of and this and that. And here Bugliosi, he's such a hypocrite. He was just as bad, you know? So I, I don't yeah. think anything, you know, anything that, that Bugliosi says could be, be taken uh, literally. So, you know, but to Vince's uh, question, you know, it's, it's great to have this stuff. Like we have to address this stuff, you know, and it's important to just not ignore it, you know, like, cause both of those, that, that movie and uh, the book pretty much go against everything that we've been saying on our podcast. Right. So it's important to address it, you know? And, and it's important to, to, to take, you know, movies uh, with a grain of salt and sure. And, you know, you have to discover, you have to do, do some research and some reading and some, to find out, Hey, is this, is this accurate or, or is this kind of made but up? Bill, for, let me ask you a question. Know, why, why was it that movie attacked? It was attacked by the critics because it was a bad movie, but it was never attacked right. for the accuracy of the movie where JFK right, yeah. by Oliver Stone, even the critics that attacked it said it was a very entertaining movie. They attacked it yeah. because they said it was, it was not factual, but the truth is JFK was a lot more realistic than the post or, you know, the movie Parkland. I mean, that's a fact. Mm -hmm. I mean, we could go scene by scene if, if you want, you know, I mean, it's just a, it's just a fact. You can't deny it. Yeah. And, you know, all of these movies have, have a certain amount of, uh, well, sure. Liberties taken for dramatic well, there's one effect. Thing you take a Liberty bill, but when you completely change history, and right. you make somebody a hero that should have been a hero, or you take the hero out of the story completely, like you did with Daniel Ellsberg. I mean, yeah. you know, that movie, The Post, I mean, that's like making the movie Jaws, Bill, and you have a, the poster, the, the great white shark, and it's coming up from the depths, going to attack the surfer, and then the, the great white shark is in the movie for 10 minutes, and the rest of the movie is about orca the killer whale. It makes no sense. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? I mean, Hank's just like... He just twists everything around and just, it's frustrating. But like you said, he's a great actor. You can't take that away from him. He's, he's got a powerful name and, and two guys from Archibald, they're trying to say that Tom Hanks is telling the people something that isn't true. And that's what we're up against, buddy. Yeah. So thanks for the question there, cousin Vinny and keep them coming, buddy. Keep them coming. Great question. And uh, led to some good discussion. Yeah. So thank you. Absolutely. I'm sorry they're a little long-winded answer, Bill, but I mean, that's such an important question that, you know, you can't answer that question in a minute. Right. Yeah. All right. Good. Cool. Um, so what we, what we decided uh, our topic would be today, Sean, is we're going to talk a little, uh, 
We're going to talk a little wrestling, a little squared circle today. Let's do it. Professional buddy. Let's wrestling. Do it. All right. So it's uh, pro wrestling, something that we're both interested in. And we, I mean, uh, interested in it. So at one point we were both obsessed with it. I don't, I don't know. Uh, certainly not uh, now. I no, not now, it. but in the nineties though, Bill, I remember me and you getting the pay-per-views. Yeah. Getting that box. Remember we used to go down and get the box and then pay for the pay-per-view every month. Yeah. We, we would, uh, at that, I think it was the well late nineties. We were, we were watching WCW, but, right. uh, that was the heart the of the 80s. NWO. That's right. NWO versus WCW. And then, right. and then the, the WWF, which became WWE started to come on in the, in the, the later nineties, probably 98, 99, it started to sort of overtake the popularity of WCW. And of course it continues today. And WCW is a thing of the past, but uh, that, that was kind of, that was the sec really the second I would right. say golden age of, of wrestling, the original golden age, I think. And, and maybe the one that certainly I always reminisce about and think about is, is the eighties. And Sean, I don't know when, when, when did you started start uh, following wrestling? When, when, well, when it would have been were... probably like uh, probably around 1980 bill. It was, my grandfather was a huge, huge wrestling fan. And he took me down to Scranton CYC. And uh, we went down there, and Andre the Giant was down there. He was the headliner. Yeah. And we were in the hallway when Andre came by. And, and I just remember, now I'm, I'm a little kid at the time, but I'm like nine years old. My brother's like five. We were there in, in, in the hallway, and, and Andre was just a – I mean, he is just massive. And he put his hand on my head, Bill, and I thought he was going to squash it like a grape. Like, he was just so <laughs> wow. massive. I, I, But, yeah, I mean, that was – that was really the first time. And then I used to, you know, Saturdays, I always go to with my grandfather. We watch uh, pro wrestling every Saturday morning. Yeah. But every time, you know, I just remember so many times going down to CYC, he'd take us down there. I mean, he just loved it. And and one of his favorite was uh, Polish power, Ivan Putsky. So every time he was down to CYC, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I, I, I think... I can't remember what which wrestling I started watching first, if it was WWF or NWA, but I started watching both of them around probably around 83, 84. And uh, I, I think I was more into the NWA than I was WWF. And I think mostly because WWF sort of around that time, 84, 85, really became more... Um, I don't know. I, I guess cartoonish, right? The you started seeing more, uh, yeah, you know, like junkyard dog and right, um, you Gino know, Santana. Yeah, I mean, yeah. not not that those guys weren't you know weren't entertaining. They were, but I I guess I just enjoyed the I don't know. I enjoyed well, sort of the the more yeah. no name type of rather the less flashy wrestlers. And also, Bill, I think I think that was actually the, you know, when it kind of changed from there wasn't actually as much wrestling per se in those. It was more about entertainment. It was more about the 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 drama. It was more about the right. mic skills. You know what I mean? And that's where you know it kind of took away from the actual wrestling. 
Well, it, it actually became it. It, it uh, you know that's when they brought in rock and wrestling, right? They started right. bringing in mainstream celebrities. Cindy, it was Lopper. like a soap opera. It became like a soap opera. Well, I think it was For always guys. a soap opera. But I think, yeah, but I think that at that point, the WWF was trying to reach a, a you know a, a mainstream audience. They were trying to compete with, and they did the larger. Absolutely did, and you know it. it I think it. It did a couple of things. It, it certainly brought in more of, of an audience. It, it made it more family friendly where you could now take your kids to see these wrestlers. And it was, it was fun. You could watch it on television and there were these larger than life characters. And of course that, in my opinion, culminated with the uh, 1987 WrestleMania three, which right. was in the Pontiac Superdome. I'm sure you remember that one, Sean. Sure, I, I was there actually. I remember going with my grandfather down to uh, to CYC. They had it on the big screen. It was, I was there too. Yeah, yeah, I was there. Yeah, Hogan against Andre the Giant. Yeah, that's right. We watched it on closed circuit, and I remember the specifically what may be considered the greatest match of all time, maybe to this day which was Randy Savage against Ricky Steamboat. And I don't know, Sean, who you were rooting for, but I was rooting for Randy Savage. I think I may have been the only one in the building. No, I was rooting, <laughs> for, I was rooting for him too, Billy. He was he was always a favorite of mine. Yeah. I, I always liked the heels more. You know, I always rooted for the I bad guys. Too. Yeah, me too. Me too, for sure. But that was such a such an amazing match. Great match. And I've seen, I've seen a lot of uh documentaries about Savage, especially since Savage has passed away. I've seen some documentaries about him and how absolutely meticulous he was with that match. Steamboat has talked about it where I think Savage filled up something like three legal, you know, legal size notepads and literally line by line, every single move and made Steamboat memorize it. And he would, you know, he, he calls Steamboat up and, He'd say, oh, Ricky, what? okay, man, what are we doing next? You know, what, what comes after the, the leg drop or what comes after the, you know, fling into the ropes and Steamboat, you know, it's say, Randy, take it easy, man. You know, we got plenty of, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. And he said, he said, uh, Savage was just so, so meticulous about it and just wanted it to be perfect. Even though he was loose, he, was, he knew he was going to lose the match. He just wanted it to be the best. And I, and I, I remember, never forget that match it was so so exciting. That was a pretty good impersonation there, Bill. Uh, Macho Man. But yeah, that was a great match, buddy. <laughs> and of course, that era, you know, Hulk Hogan became a star. And he's the one that, you know, he really brought wrestling into, you know, the mainstream, I think. Yeah. Well, uh, Hogan was had already been a star for a couple of years. I think it was just, a, it was kind of a... Well, the Rocky Three. He was in Rocky Three. Right. And that really brought him into the more the mainstream. But then when he, you know, when, when they, when he and McMahon got together and built, you know, came up with Hulkamania and it really starting with WrestleMania one, which was in 1984, where they brought in Mr. T and, and they had Rowdy Rowdy Piper and. Um, Mr. Wonderful. Mr. Wonderful. Right. If you remember that feud, the, yeah, uh, Hogan and Orndorff, and then Hogan versus King Kong Bundy. That was WrestleMania two, in a steel cage. And and Piper was so great. I mean, Piper was just awesome. 
Piper was was a perfect heel for that time. Absolutely perfect heel. And it, it was sort of a ceremonial passing of the torch because Andre had always been the big star. He had always been the big baby face in the right. WWF. And when he knew things were coming to an end for him as far as his wrestling career, he he just wasn't able to to keep up the schedule. He wasn't able to do the things he used to be able to do when he was younger and felt better. He knew it was time to pass it on to this, you know, Hulk Hogan. And he, so he agreed to do it. And I, the, from everything I've, I've seen and, and read about with that match, Hogan wasn't a hundred percent sure <laughs> until the very end that he was going over that night that he was going to win. And no, oh, he was worried. Point. He was really worried that Andre wasn't going to, you know, lay down for him and, and take the defeat. Yeah. And at some point during the match, Andre said, uh, he said, this is a kid. And uh, Hogan knew it was time. He he body slammed him, which no one had, had done before, and gave him the famous leg drop. Right. And that was it. Covered him for the one, two, three. And yeah. Just a great match, Bill. That was just, oh. a, you know, great. That whole event was just awesome. You know, it really was start to finish. You really got your money's worth no matter what, whether you were there in person or watching, you know closed circuit or whatever right so it was just it was great i remember i went with my dad to see see that one many many of those closed circuit events at the cyc i, I went with my dad I, I'll, I'll never forget going to see uh mike tyson and uh who was it spinks uh, michael spinks remember that was supposed to be the match of the century yeah yeah <laughs> ended up going 93 seconds <laughs> yeah not too but, many people lasted too long with tyson back then no, that was his heyday for sure. Yeah, but wrestling was was top of my list. I, I had a subscription to Pro Wrestling Illustrated. I was really yeah, me too. Was, man, I was watching every week. Every so I'd watch Saturday nights. I'd watch the NWA. Yeah, uh, me too. Saturday Night World Championship Wrestling. Of course, Ric Flair and he the was Road Warriors, Dusty Rhodes, right. Horseman, Nikita Koloff, all of those guys. I mean, that was Lex Luger. Lex Harry Luger. Windham, yeah. I mean, yeah, the old NWA was great. And then somewhere in the 90s, Bill, I, I kind of got away from wrestling for a little bit. And it was the NWO that brought me mm -hmm. back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Same with me. I, I got away from it, I think, probably early, maybe 92, 93. I stopped watching it on a regular basis. But I would see every now and then I saw that, you know, when Hulk Hogan, was, you know, skipped from WWF to WCW, I think there was some time in between where he was on television shows and stuff like that. But then he right. signed with WCW. So, of course, I noticed that, but wasn't really watching uh, on a regular basis. And then you guys kind of got me back into it when you started telling me how great it was. And I started started watching again. And it was it was a lot of fun and it was you know with the nwo those guys were so they were they were a, a rare kind of combination of of heel and cool right and that i think that's where you know if the if wcw made a mistake it was making those guys as cool as they were because <laughs> well the thing is like and you're talking about that you're talking about kevin nash and scott hall i mean those guys right. the outsiders they were just tremendous and you're right yeah. the, 
they try to make them bad. Like no matter what they would do, the people would still, there'd still be a, you know, a following there to people that, that just loved them no matter what they did. And that's where the problem was. I, I think you're right. And then of course they broke the NWO up in two groups. And then that's when it kind of got a little bit silly, but uh, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, they were like, they were my favorites. I mean, I had to tune in to see, like, they were just so good with the mic and just the stuff they did. I mean, do you remember the stuff with, that uh, Nash would always mention the Kennedy assassination? Remember when they're yeah. they're taking him out in cuffs and he'd be like, uh, I'm a patsy like Lee Harvey Oswald. Right. And I said, and then he'd say, I hope Ruby's not waiting in the back and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, those guys. And I don't know about you, Sean. I do remember seeing the Nitro where those guys appeared for the first time, or at least where Scott Hall appeared for the first time. And uh the, i think there was I, I forget who the who the announcer was it may have been eric bischoff but he he said you know what are you doing here you don't work here and not not really being what they call smart to the business at, at that point i kind of believed it and i was right. i was like oh that's interesting well, it was really well it was really well acted you know it really it looked yeah. like you know that guys from the wwf were coming down and t- trying to take over yeah, that's, that's what, what it looked like. And you know, Bill, and, that's and I, where I think, go ahead, Bill. No, you go. Go ahead. First. Well, I, I think that's another thing where the, they, they made a mistake there where I think they let in too many people. Like the NWO should have been all ex-WWF guys. It should have been guys that were just stars yeah. in the WWF that came down. And when they start letting other guys in, you know, like the Giant had like two stints in the NWO and he really made his name in WCW, he, you know. So it was just like, you know, they started to let too many guys in and I think they should have just kept it to a small group, you know? Yeah, I, I agree with that. And they also should have, they really should have made it so that you hated those guys more and you loved the WCW guys because the, it's just, when you have a situation where you're trying to, you know, you're, you're trying to get the fans to root for one side and they, they see right through it. Um, well, I think it, the problem, Bill, I think they try to do that, but I think like Colin Nash, no matter what they would do, they would hit guys with baseball bats and spray paint NW on their back and people would cheer them, you know, right. no matter what bad thing they did, the, the people just love them. Cause they, like you said, they were just too cool. They just, they were great with the mic and they, they were just a must see, like, you know, Hogan, yeah. when Hogan turned, that was huge, you know, when he turned. But for me, it was always, I wanted to tune in to Holland Ash. I mean, those guys were tremendous. And and the WWF kind of took advantage of that. You know, they saw, hey, the, you know, the crowds are cheering for the anti-hero now. They don't want the, they don't want the guy who preaches to say your prayers and take your vitamins. And they want right. the guy who's going to give you the finger and who's going to drink beer. And, and that's when know, Stone Cold Steve Austin kind of came in his, in his own. And uh, yeah, absolutely. The other thing for me, Sean, that that changed and really took it really got me involved with it was when you could start reading about the behind the scenes things happening on on the internet. Because in the eighties, we didn't have that. I had Pro no. Wrestling Illustrated, which you know, Pro Wrestling Illustrated is is as fake as as wrestling is, right? It's it's right. as scripted as wrestling. So you you weren't really getting any inside information, no, but with the with the with the websites i think dave Meltzer was one of them and there were a bunch of them that where you could you could log in and you could see hey this guy's in the building tonight which means he's you know he's going to be on the show or or 
you know, uh, this guy's leaving the WWE and he's or WWF or, you know, WCW, whatever it was. And he's, he's going to jump ship or, and then you also had the, the ECW guys, which was extreme championship wrestling that, that brought a whole new uh, spin on it where it was. And and I went to a couple of those ECW shows live. Uh, Yeah. What'd you think, Sean, when, when you went to those shows? Oh, they were great. I mean, Raven was tremendous and Saturn and uh, you know, those, those guys were just great. I mean, it was extreme, you know, it was really, it was, it was different. Yeah, it was, it was all of a sudden chairs, you know, if you hit a guy with a chair, you didn't get disqualified. It was part of the show. Part of the show. Yeah. And there was, there was swearing. It was, it was X-rated wrestling is what it was. And, and it was perfect for guys in their, you know, in their twenties who had, who had kind of grown up with it in the eighties and had seen all the cartoonish characters and now we're ready for 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 something a little bit more adult and that's exactly what ecw was and, and you know bill the one thing we got to say like even though you know we know it's scripted and we know it's fake these guys are like stuntmen i mean they're they're like oh. the, the stuff they do is very dangerous and so many times they get hurt and it's not like there's an off season where they could rest up like football you know i mean this is 365 days you know i mean they're 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 putting their body through a grind they're on the road all the time you know, they, you get hooked on painkillers. I mean, there was a lot of things, you know, that just, it's a tough life to be honest with you. And that was the, that was one of the things that, that kind of drove um, the the guaranteed contracts because they're most of them, if they didn't perform, they didn't get paid. Right. And so if you weren't, if you were hurt and you knew the only way you're going to be able to perform is if you, you started going on painkillers and then you had guys getting hooked on painkillers and, we saw so many wrestlers one after another, after another die yeah, uh, from, from drug overdoses, uh, young, young guys who just, uh, yeah, such a shame. I mean, the, the list is incredible. If you look at the list of these guys who died before the age of 30 or before the age of 35, just terrible. But so then, then they started, you know, cause there's no union. I think at one point, forget who it was i think it was jesse ventura who tried to unionize yeah wrestling in, the, in the 80s or 90s and, and hogan opposed him right hogan hogan kind of rallied the guys and said no you don't want a union and but if they had a union at least they would have gotten benefits they would have been able to to heal when they were hurt uh, yeah. without worrying about not getting paid, but there's no so that really it takes a toll on you, Bill. I mean, there's no question of what that does to your body. I mean, you're getting slammed, even when they're hitting each other with chairs and, you know, all it takes is one wrong move or, yeah. you know, a wrestler where he's not really that good and he could really hurt you, you know? Well, that, and, yeah. And that happened many times. It happened with, uh, with Goldberg, right? he uh, Goldberg hurt a lot of guys and not, you know, certainly not intentionally, but he just didn't, he didn't have enough experience. They rushed him along so quick. He just didn't have enough ring experience. And I I know Bret Hart has always said Goldberg ended my career because he he kicked me so hard. I, you know, my, I I thought my head was going to come off of my body and that's not what these guys are trained to do. You know, they're trained to make it look like they can that hard and and they're going to land and and 
you're going to hear the noise, but it really shouldn't hurt as badly as, as it did. Um, I mean, one of the but, guys Bill, yeah, that, that took a took a beating is Mick Foley. I mean, that match, the, the mm-hmm. Hell in the Cell match with The Undertaker, I mean, that was just incredible. You know, what a beating, though, he, he really took. I mean, put what he put his body through. Yeah, and, and the head injuries, with what we know today about concussions, these guys were, were wrestling. They may have gotten a concussion the night before. They were back at it the next night. Right. And, yeah, just you know, I don't know, crazy. Well, did you ever crazy. hear the behind-the-scenes story, Bill, with the Undertaker and and Mick Foley with the with the thumbtacks? What with the where he had the bag of thumbtacks and, and yeah, and the Undertaker it. kept like slamming them on the on the thumbtacks, and then afterwards, when they were back in the locker room, Undertaker says to him, uh, "You know, are you okay? Because remember, I think uh, Foley went right through the cage, and I think his his bottom tooth went right through his tongue." And it went he, through his nose. Was, a, yeah. was that what it was? Wow, he was, it was a, he, I mean, he was a mess. Yeah. And then the uh, Foley was like out of it, and he says to the Undertaker, he says, "What did we end up doing with those thumbtacks? Did we ever use them?" And the Undertaker said, "They're all in your back." Yeah. You know, he yeah. didn't even remember. He was shot. But yeah, this yeah. craziness. And a lot of people would look at that and say, what are these maniacs doing? But, you know, the rabid wrestling fans, we couldn't get enough of it. Of course, they would cut themselves with razor blades, you know, a lot of times to make the blood real. Right. Well, that was that that happened. That had been happening for for many years. Yes. Um, In fact, I think one of the one of the most famous feuds in wrestling that it's one of those old school feuds that probably the younger wrestling fans had never heard about, but Bruiser Brody and Abdullah the Butcher. I don't know oh, if you remember that, Sean. I do. Those, Those guys are just... crazy. I mean, Abdullah the Butcher, Bill, he had a forehead was just completely uh, scarred from all yeah. the times he cut his, cut his forehead open, you know? Yeah, a lot of those guys were, you know, if you, uh, you know, you think about, I mean, you're, you're literally taking a razor blade and, slicing open your forehead and abdullah the butcher would it was bald he didn't have any hair but he would night after night he would take a razor blade and you know when of course when the crowd's not looking you know when you're laying down or whatever you you take it out of your your wristband and and you nick your forehead so that blood comes out but he was doing this night after night after night and he he him and bruiser brody these are two guys who just would beat each other senseless every single night and it was one of the great feuds of all time. I think it, I can't remember how many times it won feud of the year and, you know, those, those awards, but. Yeah. You know. And then another one was Jimmy the Superfly Snooker, Bill. Uh, remember when Rated Crippler Stevens pile drive them on the concrete floor and they, and he was bleeding and they, they put the big X's, the red X in the box in front of the screen. Do you remember that on the TV? I do. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course, one of the best matches uh, I remember is uh, Jimmy Stuka and Magnificent Morocco in the steel cage, the cage oh, in Madison tremendous. Square Garden. Yeah, that was of course famous because Snuka did the uh, you know he gave him the the jumped Superfly. off the top yeah top of the cage with the Superfly. Yeah, that was crazy. Well, the thing is, Bill. I mean, what's that? That's a fifteen foot cage, right? Right. So yeah. he's up there like twenty feet in the air. I mean, he was he his literally. 
Yeah, his head was in the the lights. Yeah, and and jumped down. Yeah, and then you had you know you had uh, all the all the the weird kind of matches where they were the novelty matches like those uh, scaffold matches. Yeah, with the World Warriors and the Midnight Express, and then you had um, you had the uh, oh, what was it called? The two, the two uh, rings side by side with the cage around it. I forgot War Games. Oh, That's War Games, called. yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Where it was five on, you know, it was five against right. five. That was pretty crazy. You had battle royals. Uh, what was your? What's the battle royal you remember the most? Oh, I don't know. There's so many, Bill. There's so many. I just, uh, I don't know. What was your favorite? I don't. I there was just so many of them. Oh, I just, I remember, I mean, there was, you know, the one in WrestleMania two, I think that Andre the giant one, right. There was, uh, there was one, I think that was, that came after uh, WrestleMania three or Hercules one. Uh, if you remember Hercules Hernandez, who be- yeah. became her. Yeah. A lot of great, great battle Royals. And then, you know, that turned into the Royal rumble. Right. Um, yeah, just so many, so many great matches over the years. What's your, you have a favorite match, Sean? Um, you know what? I, I would have to, I think I would have to go with Jimmy Snuka and Magnificent Morocco in that cage. I think that's one of my favorite. I think another one I, I really liked was Kevin Nash against Goldberg. And that's when Kevin Nash, when they split the NWO in two, and we're, we were watching this on a pay per view, me and my brother. And, uh, you know, we didn't know that the NWO was secretly getting back together and Scott Hall came out and he, he, uh, what did he hit uh, Goldberg with a taser? And he was dressed in a, as a security guard. That's was right. It a cattle prod was electric. What did he hit him with? Or was it a yeah, taser? I think, so. I think it was a cattle prod. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And then of course the, the next night Nash would, uh, give the belt up to Hogan and, uh, NWO would be back together. Right. But I think that was a great match because that was Goldberg's first loss. I remember uh, that. That was a great match. There's just so many, Bill. I mean, Ric Flair had so many great matches. I was going to say, I mean, Ric Flair was probably my favorite wrestler of all time. And he he had some classics that just, you know, going back to his matches in the early 80s with Dusty Rhodes, yeah. Harley Race. He had some classics with Sting. There was that one on the, the first Clash of the Champions that went uh, went the 45-minute time limit. Which ended up, of course, with with Ric Flair in the uh, the Scorpion Deathlock, and the the time expired, and everybody thought Sting had won. Right, that was a good match. And then he had great matches with uh, with Ricky Steamboat. I mean, some classics with Ricky yeah. Steamboat. There was a two out of three falls match that was that was amazing. Yeah, I mean, Flair was just and another great one. Bill was uh, uh, Bret Hart against uh, Stone Cold when. They went into the match where Stone Cold was actually the heel and Bret right. Hart was was uh, the good guy. You remember? And they kind of turned roles. They, they you know they switched roles during the match because the people were actually starting to cheer for Stone Cold. Right. Yeah, that was that was the double the the uh, double turn. There were a few of those I remember. I think there was one with Flair and Hogan where. Uh, Flair went in as the good guy and Hogan went in as the bad guy and they started cheering for Hogan halfway through right. it. I don't know if you remember that one. I remember, yeah. 
And of course, the rock bill, when the rock first came out, you know, remember he they just he was not popular at all. Remember the people just didn't like him. And then when he right. had that first, he came out as Rocky Maivia. Yeah, well, Rocky Sucks was was the big chair, yeah. right? Yep. And then once he turned and he starts saying all these crazy things with the mic, I mean, it was just, you know, he, he became really popular. Yeah, I think uh, for me, the one that stands out the most is when um, Chris Jericho made his WWE or WWF debut and he did it right in the middle of, of the rock doing a, doing an in-ring promo. And then rock kind of went on to, to tear him down. Yeah. That was, I remember that. that. Yeah. Class. But there's so many great ones, but I mean, we could go out forever. Yeah. You know, we'll have to do another show on wrestling. Oh, we'll do, we'll do more shows on wrestling. Hey, Sean, how, how I, I found uh, some, some pretty good trivia questions online you up for a, you up for a wrestling trivia yeah hit me with it buddy you know i'm a little rusty i haven't been watching you know once in a while i'll go on youtube and watch some old matches but yeah hit me with them buddy see like what i remember yeah these seem like they're they're fairly simple ones they're from uh so it's wwf 1980s okay uh all right there's there's 15 of them so let's let's see how you do let's see how you do okay. so the, uh, question one is uh okay here we go before the honky tonk man of course we all remember him yeah. Who held the record for the longest reign as intercontinental champion? I'll give you the I'll give you the choices here. It's okay. either Tito Santana, Don Morocco, Randy Savage, or Pedro Morales. I think I know this one. I want to say Morocco, Bill. Was it Morocco or was it Morales? I think Morocco. I'm gonna go with Morocco. Okay. I think it's Morales. You want to go with Morocco? Let's go, Morocco. And let's see, what do I do? Hit enter. It's probably Morales. Oh, I, I have to wait until uh, I have to wait until we're we're done with okay. these to get All right, so you you're going with Morocco. All right, number two, and then we'll go back and we'll tell you the answers when we're done. All right, number two. Uh, oh, this is an easy one. Who was the Rick Derringer song "Real American" written for? I probably don't even oh, have to give you the choices. Yeah. All right, Hogan. That's an easy one. Um. And this one I'm not sure about. Who managed the Glamour Girls? I don't remember the Glamour Girls. Was it Jimmy Hart, Captain Lou, Fabulous Moolah, or Joyce Grable? Well, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to give a guess, Bill. I'm going to say Jimmy Mouth of the South Heart, but uh, that's Jimmy just Hart. a guess. Yeah, I'll, I have no idea on that one, so I'll go with you on that one. Uh, this one's pretty easy. What venue hosted WrestleMania 4 and 5? Is it Madison Square Garden, Trump Plaza, Los Angeles Sports Arena, or Skydome? I forget, to be honest with you, but I remember uh, uh, Detroit was uh, WrestleMania 3, but I, I don't remember. Do you remember? Yeah, I do. I remember. Uh, it was Trump Plaza. Okay. So we'll go with Trump Plaza. Um, all right, number five. Who was mistakenly awarded the WWF? World Heavyweight Championship after losing to Bob Backlund. This one I don't remember. Antonio Inoki, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Tony Atlas, or Dominic DiNucci. What was that? What was the choice after Inoki? Greg the Hammer Valentine. I'm going to go with the Hammer. Okay. I don't know on that one, honestly. I'd never heard that before. I never heard that. I'm sure there's a story behind it. Never heard it before. So. I'll go with you. 
All right, number six. Uh, why did Macho Man Randy Savage almost back out of his match with Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 5? He had blood poisoning. He wanted more money. His mother passed away. He was unhappy with the scripted ending. I don't know. I thought he was injured, Bill. I thought, but it, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. Do you, do you know? I don't know. You want to go with... Well, the closest one to that is he had blood poisoning. You want to try? No, that I don't one? think it was that. I I was thinking like a back injury. So maybe I I just say maybe uh, because he didn't like the script. Okay. All right. Yeah. Because we'll I know he one. had some problems there. Where I remember there was there was times where he, you know, went against management and stuff. But these are a lot yeah. tougher, Bill, than I than thought they were going to be. Yeah, me too. I didn't I didn't realize that with the you know with the first couple they seemed pretty easy. Um, all right, so this one, number seven. Who offered the Iron Sheik $500 to break Hulk Hogan's leg? Was it Antonio Inoki, Bob Backlund, Vern Gagne, or Jesse the Body Ventura? Mm. Was it Ventura? I think so. I, that's who I would say. I know he always hated Hogan. Yeah. yeah I don't right. think he was acting there either. No, I don't know. <laughs> he definitely. <laughs> all right, number eight. Uh, who teamed with Pedro Morales to win the WWF Tag Team Championship in 1980? Uh, was it Rene Goulet, Ivan Putski, Bob Backlund, or Wahoo McDaniel? I think it was Putski. I think so too. Yeah. All right. Um, in 1987, what future superstar was picked from the audience to kiss Ted DiBiase's foot for $100? Was it Randy Orton, Sheamus, Santino Morella, or Rob Van Dam? I don't remember that. I don't either. Um, who was after Orton? Who was the second choice? Sheamus. Yeah, those guys seemed like they were way down the road, though. I don't know. Um, let's just go with Seamus. All right. I don't think yeah, that's I mean, right, but. They must have been kids. Yeah, I'll be young. Yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, this is an easy one. What notable 80s jobber is Macho Man Randy Savage's real-life brother? Oh, Lanny uh, Poffo. Yeah, Lanny Poffo. He's, that's an obvious one. All right, which 80s superstar once played in the Canadian Football League? I know this one. So Dino Bravo is the first choice. Uh, Butch Reed, Mike Rotundo, or Tito Santana? Is it Bravo? I think it's Bravo, although it might be Butch Reed. I well, know Bravo, well, Bravo was Canadian. Right, but didn't he also, didn't Bravo also get whacked by the Mafia? I know he got murdered. I don't. I don't. Yeah, know the story. no, I'm pretty sure, but we'll have to look into that. But I think he got involved with the uh, the Roselli family up in Canada, the Sicilian Mafia, and I think he was doing something, and I think he ended up getting whacked. We'll look into that, but I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure I remember reading about that. Okay. Yeah, I think it's I think it's Butch Reed though. I don't know okay. if he was still go with Dino Bravo. Yeah, we'll take your word on it, buddy. We'll go with Reed. All right. All right. We're almost we're almost to the end of these. Um, Oh, uh, so this is the match I was talking about before. Who did Andre the Giant eliminate to win the Battle Royal at WrestleMania 2? Golden Boy Danny Spivey, Jim the Anvil Neidhart, Brett the Hitman Hart, or Big John Stud? 
I think it was Stodd, wasn't it? I think so. All right. Who replaced Elizabeth as Macho Man Randy Savage's manager? Was it Oliver Humperdinck, Slick, Sherry Martell, or Jimmy Hart? It was Sherry Martell, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. All right, 14, what famous match is known as the original screw job? Was it the Hart Foundation versus the British Bulldogs, Hulk Hogan versus Hercules Hernandez, Wendy Richter versus the Spider Lady, or the Fabulous Moolah versus Sensational Sherry Martell? I think the last one would Moolah and Martell, I think. Okay. I know the Hart Foundation versus the British Bulldogs, if you remember that one, that's where the referee Danny Davis essentially was just, you know, he, he was, he was part of the heart foundation, but he was st still the referee for that match. Right. So I know that was a screwed. I don't know if they ever called it the original screw job, but all right, we'll go with Mula and Sherry Martell. And then the last one is who lost the first match in WrestleMania history, the executioner, David San Martino, Matt Bourne or SD Jones? I think it was SD Jones lost the King Kong Bundy, I believe, Bill, in like nine right. seconds. I think you're right. I remember that. All right. So here we go. Submit the answers. All right. So answer number one question was before Honky Talk Man, who held the record for longest reign as Intercontinental Champion? You said Morocco. The answer was Pedro Morales. So I yeah. think I was right on that one. Yeah, you were right. Um, oh, this is surprising. So Rick Derringer wrote the song Real American. It was not originally written for Hulk Hogan. It was oh. originally written for the U.S. Express. Wow. Yeah. So if you remember at that time, Hogan's entrance theme was Eye of the Tiger. That's right. Yeah. Huh. Wow. All right. So we're both wrong on that. Um, all right. Who managed the Glamour Girls? You said Jimmy Hart. You were right. What venue hosted WrestleMania four and five? It was the Trump Plaza. Who mistakenly who was mistakenly awarded the WWF championship after losing to Bob Backlund? You're right, Greg the Hammer Valentine. Right. Uh, why did Macho Man Savage almost back out of his match with Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania five? <clears throat> Let's see. You said he was unhappy with the scripted ending. The correct answer was he had blood poisoning. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, interesting. Um, who offered the Iron Sheik $500 to break Hulk Hogan's leg? We both said Jesse Ventura. It actually was Vern Gagne. Wow. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. All right. Who teamed with Pedro Morales to win the WWF Tag Team Championship in 1980? We both said Ivan Putzky. The answer was Bob Backlund. Wow. So I think Backlund, Backlund had both titles at once. Okay. Um, during that, you know. All right. In 1987, what future superstar was picked from the audience to kiss Ted DiBiase's foot for $100? You said Seamus. The answer was actually Rob Van Dam. Wow. He was 12 years old. <laughs> not, wow, not a good score we're going to have there, Billy. No, no, no. These are tough questions. I didn't realize they were going to be this tough. Uh, okay, so what notable 80s jobber is Macho Man's real-life brother? We both said Leap and Lanny Poffa, which is right. Um, of course, Randy Savage's real name is Randy Poffo. And their father was Angelo Poffo, who was right. a wrestler. Right. 
All right. Which 80s superstar once played in the Canadian Football League? This was my answer. Butch Reed. It was actually Tito Santana. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, who did Andre the Giant eliminate to win the Battle Royal at WrestleMania 2? We said Big John Stud. The answer is Brett the Hitman Hart. Wow. Who replaced Elizabeth as Macho Man's manager? We both said Sherry Martel. That was right. Um, what famous match is known as the original screw job? We said Fabulous Moolah versus Sensational Sherry. The answer is Wendy Richter versus the Spider Lady. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea that one. And then the last one, who lost the first match in WrestleMania history? We said SD Jones was actually the executioner. He was defeated by Tito Santana. Wow. But I, I'm pretty sure, though, S.D. Jones did lose the King Kong Bundy and yeah. WrestleMania won. It just wasn't the first match. It wasn't the first match. Wow. So we only uh, – we did terrible. Five out of 15. <laughs> we got to better. We got we to bone up on our WWF history here. Well, I bet my buddy Hopkins is listening. He's probably going to get 15 out of 15, Bill. He's a big-time wrestling fan. Yeah. Probably well, you got to you got to dig deep into the uh, into the history books to get the answers to those. Yeah, they were tough, easy. buddy. They were tough. Yeah, yeah. Next time we'll do it. We'll do an easier one. All right, John. I think we've done enough wrestling talk for one night. For one, yeah, uh, one this podcast. is good, buddy. We'll have to get back into it. I'll probably end up watching some YouTube videos later and old wrestling matches. You know. Yeah, just go on Peacock. They get the whole yeah every, every single every. WWF, w, WCW, NWA, whatever. Every match from every AWA, world class, all that stuff is on Peacock now. All right, buddy. All right. All right. Well, um, thank you, everybody, for, for listening to us go on about, about professional wrestling. We enjoyed it. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, let us know. Look us up on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And YouTube, go to our YouTube channel and subscribe. Give us a good rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, also take note that our, our shows come out on, on YouTube a day before they come out uh, for the podcast app. So if you are sitting around desperately waiting for the next That's Enough Out of You to, to come out, go to YouTube because we'll be there, be there the day before. So. Uh, if you have a question for us or comment or feedback, you can email us. That's enough out of you show at gmail.com. All right, All right Sean. Buddy. Take it easy, man. Have okay, a good night. Buddy. Good night, everybody. All right. That's enough out of you. <laughs>